All right, it's podcast time. We're back. We're back in the cut making podcasts. This is the Choke Artist Podcast, our 45th episode. And I have very special guests today. They came quite a ways away, I'd say. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Two hours. <laughs> yeah. The band Ultra Deluxe is here. Hey, what's up, everyone? Hello. And Jordan is here as well. Hi. And I think it's cool that you're here and you do all the band's visual artwork stuff. Because the artwork for the last album was a concept. That last thing was a concept album, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so basically, like, the whole band at this point is just, like, this weird concept thing that I'm doing where uh, I, I was doing solo stuff and I was just writing songs mostly about, like, um, education policy or, like, just, like, living in New York City. Like, I have, like, this song about how fucked up the MTA is. And uh, then I hit a brick wall, so then I decided, like, I'm just going to write, like, a sci-fi dystopian concept record. Yeah. And uh, that's neat. All the albums are kind of going to be that for a while. Cool. Yeah. So um, we should like talk about the band too. Like, so like elements of bit, not Bitcoin music. What's what's the word I'm thinking of? Eight, Eight bit. Thank you, Bitcoin music. Jesus. <laughs> um, We've sold out. We're Bitcoin music now. <laughs> We're sponsored by Bitcoin. Hell yeah. <laughs> PayPal us. Yeah. So somewhere between like eight bit and screamo, right? Mm-hmm. And then like. Did lyrics like mostly about dystopian stuff or like I know like like there's a queer element in like the lyrics too right mm-hmm. or like dysphoria at times yeah for sure um so I've just always been really into like sci-fi but really like dystopian sci-fi like I definitely love Star Wars and stuff like that but I mean when I was like 16 like Bioshock was like I was all about that and um yeah uh and then just like I read a lot of like comic books and stuff, and that is just super big for me. Right on, it's cool. You ever, you ever see a uh, Fantastic Planet? Never. I right. actually have that on DVD at the house. <laughs> Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it freaked me out, but it's good. It's like seventies, uh, like yeah, anime, yeah, sci-fi, kind of dystopian, or like yeah, there's like little humans running around, and the aliens are like taking care of them, like gerbils in a cage almost. And like really trippy art stuff too, but I have it at so, the house. I was yeah. thinking about watching it. It looked really weird. Yeah, and very like it's very like um, saturated color. Wait, what's it called again? Fantastic Planet. Oh, I was thinking Forbidden Planet, which is like a sick comic book store. Yeah, oh, that around, is a sick comic yeah, book yeah. store. Around, around where you're at. Yeah, or? it's you know it's near Union Square, but it's like it's got everything, but it's it's geared towards like sci-fi stuff. Cool. Yeah, yeah and nice they also stuff. carry a lot of like independent artists comics there too which is cool yeah that's a whole like avenue that i'm not familiar with like independent comics and all that yeah i've been getting really into that stuff and we're also like um i kind of want to do like some comic book stuff with the later releases and get like get visual artists to like illustrate the songs and stuff like that yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah. i mean the story definitely calls like the story that you have calls for yeah so at least a certain amount it's of like, art. There's a lot to it, and it's hard for even me to follow sometimes. So I feel like a graphic novel or something like it would definitely help a lot of people grasp the concept better. Yeah, and I feel like it would give it like more staying power too. Well, I think the music's very cool. I don't mean it as that, but it's like, and today, like today, there's just so many things being constantly released. Like, 
a tangible thing or like something you could like that would go along with it to like supplement it too is like kind of neat so. everybody's doing like a visual album these days too yeah you know like everybody has a music video for every song on their album at this point so yeah. a comic would be something similar it's a visual art it doesn't have to be a video yeah so so you're in you're in new york you're in like brooklyn or? so i live in uh east harlem uh and i work in the bronx um and but eric and i used to live together in new paltz yeah that's yeah so you two came down from new paltz area ish yeah we live i spent the last four years in new paltz but now we're just 10 minutes outside of it cool it's a little quieter yeah more relaxed <laughs> yeah because new paltz has like a good amount of stuff going on yeah definitely all the time <laughs> yeah um and you're playing in new brunswick tonight mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we're at roach motel ah nice cool yeah do you know you're playing with yeah, so we're playing with um, Hill Boys, who are pals, and um, then we're playing with our friend uh, in this project called I Love You, I Love You, which is from, they're on tour from West Virginia. It's very similar, like ultra deluxe stuff, but solo, and uh, the singer just runs around and doesn't play anything and just yeah. really energetic. They're on tour with a, an iPhone right now. <laughs> <laughs> Their lyrics are yeah. super powerful, too, though. Like, cool. yeah. They write very personal songs. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I we played Best of the Worst played with y'all like a month or two ago and that it was, was like, yeah, such a fun time. So yeah. Yeah. Really fun show. Yeah, I had a lot of fun watching your set. Like This is really a very nice. like supportive scene, which is yeah, really cool. New Brunswick is one of yeah. my favorite spots to play. We always come back and there's always mm-hmm. people that come to almost every single one of our shows. New Brunswick's neat because people that are here are trying to have a good time, for sure. Yeah. So it's good it's a good in that sense and there's always like a place to play there's like so many different houses so yeah. college towns and metro areas are always much larger scenes you know yeah <laughs> wait eric your mic isn't working and i want to fix it okay i'm gonna pause it for one sec sorry wait try it again check check okay now it's working check. yeah sorry about that i think the cable wasn't in all the way yeah that's yeah right. <laughs> are you doing a weekender or yeah, yeah, right now it's just two days. Uh, we played New Paltz and New Brunswick. Um, yeah. And so uh, we are coming back to New Brunswick twice pretty soon. We're going to be here on 3.30, uh, and then we're going to be here again on 5.10. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a cool thing. Because, like, I would consider your band, like, a DIY band, right? Like Definitely. Yeah. Although, like, even if, even if there was, like, a DIY label involved, it's still, like, you're doing, you're booking everything. You're, like... You I know. just, like, Facebook. I just, like facebook message max doesn't like, stop yeah i do some emails um but it's just like i mean i don't know I'm, I'm 25 now and it's just like people facebook's cool just because like it's people that like you may have like went to a show with when you were like 16 that are also still playing and then you could be like oh how you been like you know like and then people are just like ev- a lot of people never stopped like yeah. doing diy some people went on to bigger projects some people are like have a job or whatever but i think it's like it's it's just really good to stay connected whether it's like facebook or like just i don't know the internet has its problems but it's just good for seeing old friends for music for yeah sure. and it is like you can find past events and find promoters on yeah. past events it's like a, a directory of like definitely people running shows or going to shows and stuff so yeah definitely booking like facebook's like real essential like mm-hmm. like I, I got off of Facebook like three months ago. I, f- I got kicked off of Facebook actually. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had a fake Facebook name and someone reported uh, it. I'm a teacher. I don't want like yeah. You know, yeah. Teachers were literally adding me when I had my real name and my profile was like, you know, like shit posting or just yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't gotten kicked off yet. <laughs> yeah. I think I towed the line. I don't know. 
It's gonna happen one day. Yeah, cause the the hard thing is like sometimes people like be petty and report if they like disagree with the point you're making or like as like a troll type thing, and then like uh, it can get really messy on there. Yeah, <laughs> I uh. I go too hard with the, the status <laughs> updates. <laughs> <laughs> Max has the funniest status updates. I used to do comedy, but I like got really tired of like people like saying like politically incorrect stuff. So now I still do comedy, but I just like just shit post for days on Facebook, and that's just how I do that. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's better or worse than what I was doing before, but <laughs> maybe it's. They make very punny. I like following the shit too, posters. Which are hilarious. Punny ba- punny punny band names. What was the one you came up with yesterday? Oh, today was Panic at the Drive-In. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I would love to hear what those two bands sound like combined. Too. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be but, the next Ultra Lux record. It's just. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they someone reported my, my Facebook. And then I was still keeping it and it was working because I was using it for booking. I was booking a tour at the time. Like, I got to use this still. And then they asked for a picture of my ID that had proof that my Facebook name was my real name in real life. And I just take a picture of me giving the middle finger and I sent it. Every time I log in, they're like, we're sorry. Your profile is still under review. We'll get back to you. And my friend said all of our message threads, everything I ever posted has been erased. Wow. Profiles down. That's mad fucked up for like people that like want to legally change their name, but haven't because like the system's fucked up. Yeah. It's like people. Yeah. People can change their names. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that costs money. Right. Yeah. Litigious thing. You have to probably fill out a bunch of paperwork. Like, Yeah. But also the fact that you have to send your ID to them is pretty fucked. You know, like they could take your information. You know, like it's not safe. Yeah. Like wh- where's that picture going to go? There's probably people constantly trying to hack Facebook for information. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're just giving it away. Just, <laughs> I mean, they literally yeah. sell. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. yeah. They could yeah. sell your driver's license or your ID to whoever. That information yeah. will just be out there. You don't have, there's no trust. There's just no. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. no trust. So I don't know why they think people are going to send their driver's licenses or passports or whatever to them just to prove that's their name get their facebook back yeah Yeah. it's not worth it yeah no and it's tricky like i'm convinced our phones are tapped and like we get i've gotten ads about things i've talked about like 10 minutes before. yeah and it's like i'm sure we all signed off on it at some point and like (laughs) real fine print but it's just like sketchy i don't like it yeah it's really sketchy yeah it's like um that batman movie where Albert taps into all the phones and he can find the criminals just by listening in. That's like what it's like though. (laughs) But with advertisements. (laughs) Who knows? Like, like where do you see the world going in 10 years? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) It depends highly on what happens. Uh, We'll have slightly less rights (laughs) every 10 years (laughs) until they're all gone. But it'll it'll be veiled as us having more rights somehow. Yeah. You get to pick what kind of juice you want. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, Would would you consider Ultra Deluxe like a political band? Oh, yeah. Um, So, like, I'm definitely like a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) Uh, But, like, all of the story is set in 4050. And basically, it's just like we've run out of natural resources on the planet. And that's going to happen, like, undeniable. So, uh, the the planet is one um, government that is just imperializing the galaxy at this point for natural resources. That's going to fucking happen. We're going to Mars. But, uh, yeah, it's just like that's like my interpretation of what's going to happen in the future. I mean, I know it's like it's supposed to like have a bunch of sci-fi lore and stuff like that, but yeah, um 
all of this stuff is like strictly anti-imperialist, um, strictly anti-capitalist. Uh, so basically the first album that we wrote called contact was all from like the point of view of essentially the bad guys, like the imperialist force is going to save, uh, somebody that went to a planet to, to like colonize it and to take its natural resources. So the second album we're writing, uh, is from the point of view of like the rebel Alliance called the Contra and that's supposed to be the good people. And you know, they're gonna basically wage war with this tyrannical government. That's awesome. Do you know where the story's going or you're writing it as it happens? Yes. <laughs> so I think about this a lot in my free time is, uh, so I, we have one LP that's out. The second LP is completely written and that is a prequel to what we just released. Cool. Then I have a story for two other full albums. No music is written, but like, I know what all the where lyrics are going to go. Be. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. How do you, how do you write the music for this stuff? Because for for people that haven't heard it, it's, like electronic, but with drums and bass, correct? And screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. Um. So it started as me solo, and actually, like to be honest, I wrote the f- everything that's recorded right now on my phone. Really? Like I don't really know any music theory. I kind of know keyboard. I know drums. Like I've been, I've had drum lessons for like my whole life. But uh. Yeah, I just I just have a really long commute. I work like an hour away from where I live in the Bronx, and I just I wrote like two albums on my phone, and then I would um, just put those on a sample pad and play those, and I kind of hit a brick wall with that because I mean the phone is awesome, and there's a bunch of free apps like uh, there's two um, called Beatwave and Oxy A U X Y, and you don't need to know anything about music to make electronic music because technology is just at that point. Um, but then I started working with Ableton and like. Now that I can like pick like, okay, there's no bass because Eric is going to play bass. And so I just bring him a track with, it's just no drums and no bass and we're getting more complex. And, um, I don't know. What do you, how do you feel about like just me? Just like, I feel kind of bad cause I just like bring him a song sometimes and I'm like, what do you think of this? <laughs> yeah. Like I made this um, seven minute song. I mean, the way I go about most things, especially music is, um, I like to challenge myself, you know? So I have I feel like I have a much easier time um just writing having somebody come to me with something and then writing on top of it like adding to rather than like writing my own music so it it flows you know it's yeah. <laughs> so it's difficult when I don't get to practice especially without the drums or vocals like I'll just have a track in an email and just if we've only practiced no it drums. twice before that I'm kind of just like, where is everything? <laughs> where yeah. does everything go? That can get challenging, yeah. yeah. But overall, I think it's neat that you can like kind of collaborate in that way, you know? D- yeah. Different projects, can you, you can do different things too, you know? I think for this, the way you're doing it works. It's neat. Oh, thank like, you. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely like, it's nothing, it's not like many things I've heard. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's a lot of fun, yeah. Obviously, check Ultra Deluxe out. Um, so there's there's one album was that released with through Chatterbot Records? Um, a similar label called Deep Sea. Oh, okay. Deep Sea Records. Um, and yeah, they have a lot of other bands that I just like really respect in the scene, like California Cousins. Yes. Uh, Monster mm-hmm. Bad. Those are like people we play with a lot. So it's cool. really cool to be on a a small independent label with like bands that we play with and like super respect. Yeah. Um, and they they put out our tape and um. Yeah, so that's Contact. That's like our one LP. And we're working on an EP right now. It's, we're recording it next week, and we're probably going to put that out through them digitally as well. Awesome.
Cool. Yeah. Uh, I saw California Cousins last weekend, and they were great. It's oh, my yeah. first time. No, it was maybe the second time I've seen it, but it was like three or four years apart, so it felt like the first yeah. time. They just have riffs on riffs yeah. on riffs. <laughs> like, they're real good. Filthy riffs. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of fun. Hell yeah. Are there any things like, is it ever, do you ever run into any challenges like playing DIY shows with running, what are you running, like a sample pad through a PA? Yeah, or? so um, I have a... Small spaces. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Roland SPD-SX. Um, I recently got that. I used to use the Roland SP404SX. I love gear. I could talk about gear all day. But um, Is that like the Octopad? Like the yeah, sampling? so it's the, it's a similar thing. To my knowledge, the Octopad is more like percussive, and the SPD-SX is more sample-based. Sure. So a lot of bands will like throw a backing track on that thing, but you can cue it up at any time because cool. you hit it with your stick. Yeah. And um, so this was like it really – it's mostly like is the pa loud enough or is the pa not just a bass cap which is fine and i've done that before but that's probably the biggest challenge is like playing small spaces which i love playing basements i never want to stop playing basements uh it's just like um the fact that like i don't have my own amplification is like kind of hard yeah you don't know where you're getting until it's it's kind of a (laughs) crapshoot and then um most people don't know how to um mix us really they don't realize that we are just the rhythm section to the sample pad sure which i look at as the band Uh, (laughs) oh that's interesting yeah yeah because then if you think that way you would make the sample pod much louder yeah yeah. exactly and you would kind of be comping or like adding to it like embellishing it that's neat yeah Yeah. yeah. that makes sense i mean because it's that's where i guess the the melody and like the a lot of the song is Mm -hmm. yeah you're kind of adding you did you two switch instruments yes okay yeah or do you because i remember when we played (laughs) i kind of remember we did but we've been working on a set that we started playing last night where um we don't switch anymore because a lot of the feedback we received that was um there was less energy when both of us weren't playing our instruments oh okay so like Like people were more impressed by what we were doing the bass and the drums and Eric has played. How long have you? How long have you played bass? Ten years. Yeah, and I played drums for like thirteen or fourteen. So that's like our instruments that we're really comfortable with. But yeah. I had Eric on drums, and I was just fronting, and I would basically just like run around and scream my head off and like play with lightsabers and like do yeah. weird stuff. <laughs> but the newer songs just have a different vibe now too. It's yeah. less. Um, I don't know what the word would be. I feel like the first <laughs> album was less about like fighting and war, and this album is more about yeah, fighting. Yeah, it's a lot. The newer is stuff is. is a lot yeah. heavier, and yeah. it kind of just needs that extra reinforcement of both instruments yeah. now. Basically, yeah. like, um, so I played a show, and my sister was there, and so nobody has been subjected to hearing me drum more in the on the planet than my sister sure. in the course <laughs> of her life. And so she was like, you are, like, you drums is your instrument. Why aren't you playing that? Like... That's your thing. And so I'm like, you're right. I just, sometimes it's fun to just run around. But yeah, we're just a lot heavier when we're he's on bass and I'm yeah. on drums. Sure. Yeah. I, I watched some of that uh, Alston Pudding session and it sounded great. Oh, but, thank you. And I thought like, as a drummer who was doing vocals, you put on a good show. Like you were like performing the songs vocally too. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Like um, I learned to drum at like 12 and my drum teacher was also the, the singer of his band. And so I used to like, 
my mom and my sister like did plays and operas and so like i started singing before i played an instrument and he was like hey if you like sing and play drums like i do this like so i taught I, like he he taught me how to play and sing at the same time cool so i just like it's i don't know there's definitely some drum parts that i cannot play and sing but, sure yeah how did he teach like how do you go about teaching that was he like breaking it down kind of yeah or? it's like uh you just have to like focus on like what i really do is i like make my vocal since i'm screaming like it's definitely more percussive so like i will hit something at the same time that i'm like screaming it so it's yeah because it's really hard to like carry a melody while like you know noodling around on the drum set but i like if i'm hitting a crash that's where i like scream heavier yeah and like um yeah i try to like have a more rhythm and more percussive cool vocal style yeah like playing off of the the two parts playing off yeah. of each other more. yeah i'm no like zach hill i can't like play different limbs at different time signatures <laughs> but also yeah. max also did oswald before this band and max is the lead singer on oswald too and drummer so this, i feel like they've had a lot of practice doing this for a long time now and it was really successful in oswald i just like to scream <laughs> it's fun Screaming to yell sick yeah, yeah. I'd be a much angrier person if I wasn't playing in screamo bands sweet, for the past several party. years. It's a good outlet for sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think there needs to be more aggressive music uh, just in general. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's I, got a negative connotation that just comes with it. You know, people are like, oh, you scream? Not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> what are you screaming about? The devil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I was saying we're not doing that, but... <laughs> so you were saying that in your lyrics you were talking about like the education system yeah so there's a song that we don't play anymore but um uh, yeah so i'm a teacher i teach in uh the bronx and there's this song called professional development uh and that came off of bummer which was like the ep that it was just solo it was like the first thing i released and um so i used to work at a charter school and I have a lot of like political opinions about charter schools. I work in a New York City public school, and uh, charter schools uh, are you know privately funded schools, but they're they're privately funded, but they're public schools, and they kind of make their own rules, right? It's yeah, like... there's some positives for sure, but it's very difficult like operating in a in a, such a strict setting like that, and um, it just is really brutal to the teachers, like the the workload that I had to endure at, that I had to do. Um, and then it's really harsh on the kids. It it sets really hard expectations for them, and I don't think it's the most positive element. So that song is almost entirely about charter schools, and I actually interviewed at a charter that I'm not going to say, um, not to incriminate myself, but um, the lyric is, large, expansive, chrome by the docks, sign more kids, buy more stocks. And the interview was in this building, this skyscraper, in the financial district in South Manhattan. I'm like, okay, so like somebody's making money off these kids in this, they have like an intercom system and like huge windows facing the water. And I'm like, no, like that's not what education is for. Yeah, like, it's not a business. A CEO is not making money off these kids yeah. in the South Bronx. Like that's messed up. Yeah, that's gross. Yeah. Someone was telling me recently that like lobbyists pay for standardized testing to happen. Like the, oh, yeah. the three weeks in school every year that like they're pushing standardized tests is because someone's paying off you know, whoever to make these tests happen. Yeah, Pearson is a conglomerate. They have a total monopoly on, like, anybody, if you take whatever standard says for your student or if you are, like, in, you know, if you are trying to get your teacher certification, you need to give Pearson your money. They have a total monopoly on just testing in yeah. this country. 
they um I think like the park was what we did in New Jersey, and now it's the same test, but it's a different name because legally they can't give the park anymore. So now it's they just changed the name of the test, and I think like it's somehow okay. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I'm. It's just like I don't know. That's not even how the world works. Like, what job do you go and you're like time to fill in bubbles? Like, no, no, even like, even like the biggest CEO of like whatever Jeff Bezos doesn't have to like, you know, fill in bubbles at his job. He just extorts people for money. <laughs> There's like different kinds of intelligence out there too. Like, it's not every kid's gonna be smart in the same way. You yeah, have kids like going through school who feel like they're worthless because they didn't fill in the right bubbles. It's yeah, weird. I had a really hard time in school because of that. I just wasn't the kind of person who could sit there and take a test you know like I'm a very hands-on type of person and especially when I was going to school like in the Bronx it just kind of fucked me over yeah totally yeah you know like I think everyone has merit to what they do yeah exactly I also had a hard time like I would test standardized testing I would test really poorly but I was a straight-a student all my teachers thought you know like I was way more advanced in the classes that I was in and they would push me and give me more work and I would be way ahead of everybody else in my class, but I could not standardize tests. Yeah. I like could not do it. I would sit there and look at it and I'd just freak out. <laughs> I would just see all the bubbles and be like, but what if I did the math this way? Then it would come out to this number or, and I would just redo my work over and over and over again, just get every single answer that was listed. And then I'd just be like, I have no idea which one's the right one. And yeah, because teachers are putting stupid. teachers put pressure on the students too, because it's their job to make you good at taking the test. It's also isn't it part of the teachers' like annual review how well their students test? Yeah, they too? look at those yeah. numbers. Yeah, so yeah. like there's a lot of pressure on the teachers to have the kids pass. So they're freaking out, and then they're freaking out as passing on to the kids, and then the kids are freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> Someone said to me recently. Uh, someone a teacher friend i have who works in a different school they said you know the kids in my school get dumber every year and i was like wow they said like yeah i've been teaching for like 15 years and it's much different and she said i don't know what it is like culturally or like you know smartphones or social media or like parents aren't doing that but like when they said that and it wasn't a teacher who's tapped out like i know which teachers are tapped out yeah. and like oh they're all bad kids like it's a teacher who like busts their ass every day and they said that to me like man that's like fucking sad like yeah. where are we headed like where is it going yeah. well i think it's not even just like i don't i think it has a lot to do with um basically what your income is like i grew up with my dad working 90 hours a week at his job and he was the sole income at our house and my mom was just kind of like taking care of everything else so I had to deal with my own education and I had to buckle down and decide I wanted to study and I had to do the same thing for my little brother because they didn't have time yeah. and I feel like the more parents don't have time to put in with their kids like the less they're going to actually put in the effort sure. um, and like like my cousins they're doing excellent they're all in AP classes because their parents spend hours with them helping them do their homework and doing projects with them. Like my cousin's into biology, so they went and did this whole biology field trip to the park and they helped them do you this have huge to be project. Involved, yeah. Like, on that level. like the teachers yeah. can't just be to blame and I can't even blame the school systems necessarily. I think parents just don't have the time anymore because they don't have the money and they have to keep making the money so the kids can go to the good schools and they can have a home and food and it's a lot. It's a lot of like I feel like the 1% kids are the ones that are doing well. Sure. You know, like yeah. the ones in the, like, the top 10% of the income earning con people and families is, in the country. 
you can't just stop blaming the school. So like you can't blame the people working in it, but the system is skewed to like work against people. I remember like I grew up in Queens in the Bronx, um, and until I was 12, 13 years old. And I spent the first six months of seventh grade in the Bronx and I took a standardized test and then my parents bought a house and we moved up to um, Putnam County. So I was going to school at Brewster and they hadn't taken their standardized test yet. And um, they were, we were in like an English class taking a practice test and I had to like raise my hand in the middle of it and be like, hey, this I already took this. This is the standardized test that they're giving to the kids in the Bronx. And here I am two months later taking it as a practice test. And at that point, I kind of realized, like, wow, this whole thing is pretty fucked up. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's classes as hell. Yeah. It's definitely, like, yeah, as Eric said, it's definitely systematic. Like, I work in a very, like, difficult-to-get-to part of the Bronx. Like, I, I take the 6 train, which runs through most of the South Bronx, and then I have to take a bus for another, like, 30 minutes. So anybody that goes to the school that I work at lives in the area, probably. So it they... They ha- it would take them like twice as long to get to work as anybody else commuting in New York City. So it's a time thing. If the parents have to, you know, get to work, it takes them long longer time. So they may have less time to do other things. They may have less time to get groceries, less time to do whatever. And then you just have things like, okay, we just New York City just got a new subway line, the Second Ave subway. It goes three stops on the Upper East Side from 72nd or 59th to 96th. Like, who is that servicing? Like, that's not helping the people that need it. Like, they could have easily extended that to the East Bronx, which doesn't have, you know, the six train only goes up for, like, one part of the Bronx for, like, miles and miles. But, no, they, they just extended it to the Upper East Side to, you know, pander to just people, like, going to the fucking Met. Yeah. But, like, that's, that's <laughs> who takes that train. So they can like, be more comfortable. People going to, yeah. you know, go shopping or yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's fucked up. Do you, um, do you, how do you feel like, do you feel like your students are being raised by like I, iPads? Um, what grade, what grades do you teach? I teach ninth grade. So, uh, they are definitely dependent on technology in a way that like Gen Z is definitely more dependent on technology than millennials. Millennials still like, we love our smartphones, but I don't know if that's really a bad thing. Um, because, you know, like looking up stuff on your phone, like Wikipedia is the sickest fucking thing ever. Like, even as a teacher, I know your teacher told you like, Wikipedia is not a credible source. I'm like, whatever. Like it's the free encyclopedia. You could like know anything about anything in three seconds. Yeah. So I think that's sick, but I think that we have to normalize that, like using a phone for academic stuff and like apps are fine. Like I, you know, do all like facebook and twitter and all that stuff so i'm not gonna say don't do that but i think when you're in a school setting and people say don't use your phone don't use your phone that's the one place they should be using their phone like you would save money on resources you wouldn't have to buy as many textbooks and if you normalize them like looking up like oh what you know like what happened like what caused the war of 1812 and then they look it up on their phone then when they're with their friends and like having a discussion or like you know you know having a debate they can look stuff up instead of like having this negative connotation that phones are just used for games or like mindless apps. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, it, it, if you tell them to put it away, they're gonna want to use it to like text their friends. Yeah, it class. makes them think it's a bad thing and that it's only used for one thing. And yeah. it's like, it it's one of the most accessible forms that we can just access. You can go on the internet anywhere. Like I didn't have that 
growing up like when i was a teenager no yeah our, our generation we were the last one to not really have yeah and we still had it for yeah for a little bit teens like yeah, mid-teens yeah. to now but you know kids are growing up like five years old and having yeah. uh yeah they have like the kids version like the i forgot the company name but they have one that you can like throw on the ground and it won't break like really? an indestructible pad for your like, for, like your four-year-olds yeah yeah and like it just has like games on it like logic games on it so yeah that the kids can learn like colors and words and numbers that's and, cool like that's something that a lot of little kids are growing up with. yeah yo have you heard about elsa gate by chance because no. i know you're you're saying you're into conspiracy theories so it's it's kind of it's real to an extent i don't know what the what is exactly going on but there's these videos online and it like hits a certain youtube kids algorithm and it's made by like animator studios like the the big the biggest studio that was doing it was in india like a lot of them were in asia somewhere um but it's like the video will be called mickey mouse finger game hot potato fun time kids learning so like you're watching like whatever and then it just will come on next and it's like these cartoons but there's like like these like underlying tones of like like substance abuse like mickey mouse gets drunk and then Minnie Mouse is in a bikini and it comes off and she's covered like just like weird like weird just on YouTube. Yeah. And there's a yes. bunch of it. I heard about the scary one. The one that Momo. I, yeah, that's, that, that was one Momo. I heard that's about. what that is? Mo- no, that's, no, that's, that's a something different else. one, but it's like the same concept. Yeah. Where it like scares the shit out of kids. Yeah. Mo- Momo <laughs> was just someone on like in between like learning videos. Yeah. Like it'll pop up and it'll be like kill you you need to text me on whatsapp and then you'll text this person on whatsapp and it's a person pretending to be momo and they're like all right like the the challenges will just increase and increase and get worse like first one's like eat a tablespoon of salt and take take a picture of you doing it and then it's like write your name in blood on your and then like i think a few people like killed themselves from that oh my god yeah yeah no that one got really that one really like kids would be watching like peppa pig and it would come up in between like peppa pig videos on youtube and it's like those are like for six-year-olds seven-year-olds yeah (laughs) and then the bus the 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 actual picture of momo was terrifying yeah the actual pictures are like nightmares yeah it was like some like <laughs> horror film like set designer made it for like a movie did you see the picture of momo yeah that is yeah yeah like could you imagine being like six years old watching maybe like you know peppa pig or handy manny or whatever and then that popping up in between your videos and then being like you have to text us right now yeah <laughs> Kids are gonna do like it. i would do it yeah i would yeah. if i was that age i would do it probably i'd be like oh my god i'm gonna die i have to do this yeah. right now i still have nightmares of ivan ooze from the power rangers movies so like i don't know <laughs> yeah. if i can handle seeing momo at yeah. that age it's crazy <laughs> oh yeah it freaks him out kids brought it up in my class and i was like that's ah, just some loser with like too much free time doing it how old are your kids uh, I'm elementary, so eight, oh. nine, ten. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Five <laughs> yeah. lesson plans a day. It's a ch- it's a challenge wow. at times. Good yeah, for you. yeah, lots lots of music. Um, when I was a kid, we'd get the like chain letter emails, like, "Hello, I'm a girl with no nose and red eyes. If you don't oh, email this yeah. to ten oh, people, yeah. I'm going to stab <laughs> you at two forty a.m." It's like just enough details where it seems real, but yeah, that used to freak me out. What uh, what conspiracies are you like big on? Hmm. Or yeah, You're anyone opening up a can of worms. Here. <laughs> <laughs> gotta pick one. Yeah. I gotta think about yeah, this. Let Max go first. Okay, so like um, this one's like pretty agreeable, but maybe controversial for tri-state area. But uh, I I watched part of Loose Change in college. Yeah. Uh, just nine eleven conspiracies. Just I mean, yeah, yeah. Come on, <laughs> something's up. 
Bush did that shit. Yeah. <laughs> we all know it. Come on. So yeah, something definitely happened that wasn't I don't know. I, I even in like Fahrenheit Fahrenheit nine eleven, like they talk about like Yeah. He he got like letters like months and months in advance about it. Yeah. <laughs> Jet fuel can't melt still be Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean that's the biggest one. That's like the biggest one if you watch loose change or even like zeitgeist you ever see the zeitgeist movies th- S- same thing yeah. and it's about like deityism too and like how every religion's based off like constellations and astrology which yeah. that fucked me up too because they pulled up like all these different gods like jesus muhammad everyone had the same birthday born on this oh, day died fuck. resurrected three Weird. days later son of a virgin you know yeah. and it was all like based on constellations but and and loose change when you see the towers fall they fall straight down like just straight yeah. like like demolition. Mm-hmm. Don't hit any other no, it just goes straight. Yeah. Down. It collapses on itself. Where yeah. if a building hits it from the side, you would think like it would fall. It topple yeah. or some some momentum would happen. No, that was like especially a distru- a plane that was, like, up that high going that fast. Like debris would have traveled miles yeah. and miles. Yeah. Like that was like that. It looked like if you go online and you look on YouTube and you look up just the videos of them taking buildings down, it looks exactly the same. Yeah. You know, like, it's yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. I feel like for, like, the two people that made it this far in the podcast, we just, like, lost both of them. Daddy, <laughs> 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 yeah, right. I can listen to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dad's, like, super Brooklyn Italian, and uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 was on once, and he's like, get this fucking thing off the TV. What is this? Because he's, like, very, like, patriot and, like, yeah, immigrant, yeah. you know? Just, like, generational differences. My dad was working in the towers, so he also is, like, he's, like, I can't talk about it because I think I'll be crazy. I'll sound crazy, and, like, I think that, you know, other people will think I'm crazy, and I just don't want to be like that. I'm, like, going to be 60. I don't want to deal with that at this point in my life, but, like, 9-11 was done, and I'm, like, okay. He, he you know, was like, there the day it happened? He was in the subway in the tunnels on his way to the office. He had been, he was late to work. He was going to actually be on the floor that the first plane hit um, at the time that the first plane hit. Oh my God. And he was dropping me off at school that morning. My mom and him got in a fight because she was supposed to drive me, but she was like, I can't, I feel sick. So he drove me to school. So he was an hour late and he was on the subway, like uh, probably like 10 blocks away. Subway stopped in the tunnels. There were no lights because the power was cut. So he's walking in the subway tunnels with flashlights with all the people yeah. on the subway train with him. He had to climb up onto a platform after he finally got to one and then get out of the subway that way. And then see and my stepdad was one of those cops. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Guiding people through oh. the tunnels. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. So he was like, no, something happened. But he's like, but I can't talk about it anymore because like. I'm too old. <laughs> you know, like, I'm too old at this point, and, like, I don't want anything weird to happen. I want to get, like, pulled into, like, the FBI or the CIA and, like, arrested. Like, I'm too old for this. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucked, though, because, like, chances are, yeah, something fucked happened, but a lot of people are like, oh, give it a rest. But it's like, I mean, thousands of people died. Like, yeah. yeah. Including firefighters that were, like, first responders on the scene. Like, yeah. It's, it's fucked because that's their job, to run into the burning buildings and they died like first basically and, yeah like, the, the, there I, was I no went to support the system for them for like yeah 10 15 years either and um i went to preschool there in the in the building and this preschool is like in the one of the first floors of the World Trade Center. yeah and like those kids all got trapped down there they oh, all got trapped really 
So, like, and the teacher, there was, like, a couple of the teachers throwing kids out of the windows, trying to get them, like, out of the basement. Like, yeah. they died throwing kids out of the building. Like, that's wow. fucked up. Yeah, it's fucked up. Like, if you think of, like, of all the people that died, like, people should be more angry about it. Yeah. We've just, like, let it go. But that's always what happens. We just let things go. Like, look at Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look at, like, there's a that new- just happened and we're letting it go there's already. There's a new thing to distract us almost <clears throat> within five days. Yeah, look at Haiti too. I mean, yeah. How does that? How does a total island being wiped out basically? How do we lose sight of that all of a sudden? Yeah, because the Grammys are on. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Didn't like a plane disappear too, or something? Yeah, yeah. It was like Ethiopia, I think. Yeah. 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 I had I had uh, my kids do current events for like the history elective class, and this one kid was all about that story. <laughs> <laughs> Is there, is there anything you teach where you're like, I don't know, I feel like this test textbook might be a little biased right now. Oh, yeah. It's got to be. <laughs> mm. le- le- so when much. I was in high I'm Armenian, and when I was in high school, I always looked for the genocide to be, my genocide to be in the textbook, because there was always, you know, like, the Holocaust, and there was, you know, the Native American Trail of Tears, and that was all, also a really yeah. small thing, but there'd always be, like, two sentences somewhere, like, really tucked into the chapter, and it would say... In, I think it was like 1922, <laughs> the Armenians experienced a genocide. And that would be it, though. That's like the whole sentence. And it's yeah. like, there's a lot more. That happened. There's a lot more that happened. Yeah. But they don't publish it in the textbooks. We don't recognize it in this country because our one of our greatest allies in the Middle East is Turkey. And yeah. they're the ones who committed, committed the, the genocide. Yeah. So we're not going to just all of a sudden stop. Mm you know, being yeah. allies with them they and want their spot blown call them out. Yeah. yeah. Cause they're not going to make reparations like Germany did. They're just not, they're not yeah. in a position that they have to. <clears throat> yeah. So like if I didn't listen to system of a down, I wouldn't know the Armenian right. genocide existed. Yeah. Right. Just I was like, talking about that. Yeah. yeah, we were talking about that. yeah. The system of a down are the only way people know about the Armenian genocide. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican and the most comprehensive history that I've gotten of like Puerto Rican, native American and Southern, American history is um from a fucking Netflix special, which you know, kudos to fucking John Leguizamos, you know, he's putting in the fucking footwork. But I was fucking I had to wait till I was twenty five years old to be told, hey, like you were of Taino descent, and those people were almost completely fucking wiped out, like thirty million people total. I, I think didn't even Columbus know that just yeah. The Taino were um, native to Puerto Rico, but they had influence all throughout um, the Bahamas, and they were indigenous to, like, Florida, the southern states. Yeah. Wiped out by, like, American colonizers, or? Um, Italian. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah Columbus. Yeah, yeah, first it was Columbus, you know, just um, raping off. children to give them syphilis to ruin future generations and then you know just killing everybody enslaving the rest and then when they were almost out of indigenous peoples to enslave they started importing the african slaves and you know like mated them yeah so that they could just keep having black and brown slaves it's wild america was built on such greasiness and just so many like yeah. bad things it's happened. really how, fucked up how does it ever don't talk about it yeah and it's not in our textbooks i mean like that's your original yeah. question is like it's not in our textbooks yeah like my cousin 
she goes to school in um, Oradell, New Jersey, so that's closer to here. Yeah. And um, she's Armenian, and the class got to do a project on a genocide that was in their textbook. She had to get special permission from her teacher to do the Armenian genocide because it wasn't in her textbook. She was like, she was like, I have to do this. No one else is going to do it. It's not in her textbook. And I want to cover it because that's what my family is about. You know, like we're, my grandparents are first generation from the genocide in this country. So I'm like third generation in this country. And my great grandparents had to, get married in Cuba in order to come here together. <laughs> you know, like it was, it, they had to do so much in order to get here. And my cousin was like, I can't believe I can't study my culture in school. Like that's just not a part of the yeah. curriculum. I have to make it up. Yeah. So it is, it's messed up. I mean, the, the textbooks, they're all written by the same, like, like two or three companies. It kind of goes back to like Pearson, like pushing tests. Yeah. Like, like the, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and somebody's telling them what they can and can't put in the textbooks. You know, yeah. some, there's definitely someone telling them what they can and can't put in the textbooks. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the good thing about having a phone all the time is like the more open sourced everything is. So mm -hmm. they're more like skeptical. Everyone is. You can just look into everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the downside is the, the, the flat earthers. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like not, not on the Alex Jones yeah. level of things. Or like <laughs> The issue is like, okay, so obviously in New York City, school districts are super segregated like they're not heterogeneous at all and um so like i teach in a pretty diverse area of the bronx and this type of discourse is had had a lot and like we you know we do not celebrate columbus like we we like none of my kids like him like we're but that we like we need to talk i'm from westfield right and so like i wasn't taught that columbus was bad in westfield like we know yeah like westfield's demographic and that's where it needs to be taught is in like areas like that because um i don't know a lot of a lot of people like i i don't know when when it's columbus day like we at our school like we would call it indigenous people's day and um but it's not happening everywhere it's not uniform across the country yeah and so that's the issue is not every the people that cause all the problems are not studying it yeah no it's true yeah in, in my town uh, they used to give school off i don't i don't think they do anymore for columbus but I mean, elementary school's a little different. Like, I could probably talk to a fifth grader about it and be like, you know, like, he did a heinous, like, he did oh, terrible yeah. things. <laughs> they probably listen to you, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a lot... Plant the seeds. It's <laughs> a lot important. less celebrated now than yeah. when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that has to do with, like, you know, like, more social media, like, building up, like, just being like, this is it's not a Information guy. gets passed yeah. around a lot more now, yeah. and that's yeah. important. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's definitely good that kids can at least people could at least be free thinkers with their phones until we can't be. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. If, I think we'll at least always have that. So in keep our, in sending our us Momo. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Subliminal messages. So Max, what was like growing up in Westfield like? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> a, well, a few about like forty minutes from here. Yeah. So I mean. I'm yeah, so I grew up in Westfield. Uh um basically soup there's not a lot of kids that are into um like punk shit and uh very affluent, like very fucking everybody played lacrosse and yeah. like 
you know, had North faces and all that wax stuff. And so, um, I started going to shows when I was like 12 because the first Baptist church yes. had a lot of six ska shows. Yes. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, there was this really sick record store called sound station. And that was really formative in like me developing my like musical taste. And, um, there was a lot of little cool things in Westfield, but they didn't like, they just got nerfed. Like by the time I was, um, probably in college like so the the first baptist church shows were awesome and those were like 200 kids packed out yeah every time yeah. and like that was like the first show i ever went to i was 12 i went to go see a ska show um because i was friends with this kid and he played trumpet in a band with eighth graders nice and so they and then those eighth graders played in a show with high school kids so we're like all right we gotta like oh yeah gonna, we're gonna party with some ska high school kids yeah and by party i mean like go to bed at 11 skank in a circle <laughs> yeah drinking hawaiian punch and then but um i don't know i just like uh there were some shows and w my senior year of high school there's this thing westwood community center and also sound station booked some shows um but it wasn't a lot so i ended up just like commuting like two hours to like brooklyn uh there were spots like in 2009 like uh party expo and um broadway backyard and uh yeah um I think it's really important in Union County and other and like other North Jersey towns to like keep those spaces there because kids are always going to want to do punk shit, but they need an outlet. Yeah. Too. Cause what else, what like you need, like when I, when I was younger, it was like, let's go to a show. Cause what else would we do? Yeah. Like, go watch music or play it. It's either that or like do illicit drugs and like, right. yeah. yeah. I, don't know. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is like, especially in areas like this, New Jersey generally, has a huge drug problem and i think it's because the kids like have nothing to do and they kind of have a lot of money on their hands and the parents kind of just are like too busy or you know not around or something and yeah drugs are really accessible yeah they are they're just really accessible it's true. so definitely in like a few affluent towns in jersey there's that problem yeah. i mean in a lot of towns in general there's like mm -hmm. an op 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 opioid problem but yeah yeah, I think um, Flemington DIY is like one of the most important spaces in the state. Well, right I was now. gonna bring that up because yeah. Westfield and Flemington are. St oh, I think Flemington's more rural. Yeah, for but, sure. But like, kind of the downtown is reminiscent of Westfield's downtown. Yeah. I mean, Westfield's downtown changed a lot over my youth. There were a lot more small businesses. Now there's a fucking Urban Outfitters, and yeah. uh, I mean, it's cool that they still have the Rialto and like, um there's a lot of other small businesses, but it's like 50, 50 now with chains. And it wasn't always like that. Uh, I think Cranford's really cool. Cause like, I don't think there's law or something, but like it's only small businesses in Cranford. Yeah. Uh, like they don't have any chains or maybe like one or two, but yeah, I think like a community space, like Flemington DIY is so important. Like sober space is so important for kids to go to sure. like kids. I mean, house shows are all ages and I love house shows, but you know, we need something for like, 12 year old to go to like for the, the public too. yeah not like invite only yeah. yeah yeah you know so yeah no i agree if there was something like that like around here i think it would do very well mm -hmm. but it's just like where would you do it here and especially new brunswick rent is stupid because it's a college but even like a few towns over you also need like the right people like flemington i had jeff on a podcast actually and like and i was like all right tell me how you did all this because it's like a really cool story about how he made the, that space happen and they just celebrated like their fifth year and it was in like the hundred and county newspaper and everything it's fucking sick but yeah he had the support of the town on his side like mm -hmm. the flemington better business bureau was like oh you run these you run these punk shows and you, he was doing like art 
like Jeff's always been really involved in the scene, did like zines and like art stuff. And we're like, yeah, we have this abandoned bank. We thought it'd be cool to turn it into like a venue temporarily. And then like they didn't improve their worth and they it wasn't only a music venue, right? Like they like screen movie screenings and talks and poetry. And now they do screen printing nights. They do a bunch of stuff and it's like a legit community center. And I just think like that's such a cool thing to have for a kid mm -hmm. in that area. Yeah. So well, that's the thing that I think so on the one hand, like the tech is really good and it's very helpful. But on the other hand, you know, like you're more okay staying at home and playing on your phone or playing video games and not going out of the house ever. Whereas back in the day, back in the day, when high school, I didn't, I had a flip phone all of high school. I never had a smartphone yeah, in high school. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like I was always like walking to meet my friends. I would walk down the street, like a mile down the street to go meet my friends, you know, yeah. like, and we would just go play in the woods. We would go play in the woods and have a great time. And yeah, we get poison ivy here and there, but you know, like we lived and it was great. And now we know how to deal with poison ivy as adults, <laughs> you know? So I feel like a lot of the time kids don't go out and because of that, the spaces that are available aren't there anymore because there's no demand for it. Yeah. So in a community that like there is a demand for it or the parents are like, I want my kids to not be on their phone all the time or kids are like, I want to stop being on my phone all the time. That's really awesome. Yeah. That like a space is, and it, it, that space probably services a lot of areas too. Yeah. You know, ain't like probably in, um, not that they meant to do that, but it's just a thing that happens sometimes when there isn't a space like it anywhere else. Yeah, and that brings people to the town too, and yeah. like they, yeah, they do a lot. But um, I think I agree. I think something like that in Westfield would be really cool and feasible. Like, there's a music school on Main Street in Westfield. I was like a sitting drummer for this oh, yeah. jazz band there. Mm -hmm. We practiced like once a, a week, and they gave me like a check at the end. I, I don't know how I I think yeah, that, that Liz from awesome. Best of the Worst got me that gig, but like it was cool. And it was fun playing music and there were students doing it and like older people and they had the money just to pay me. They wrote me a check at the end. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, yeah. And I think it would do well. I mean, those Baptist church shows, they were like, nuts. They yeah. were insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, I've like, I don't know if the scenes changed or like what, but like all ages shows, like, I mean, I, I haven't played many shows like that as a DIY band, like at a community space like that. Like that doesn't happen often. Yeah. That happened like every week, every time there was a show. It, it was, was like, the thing out. to do. Yeah. Maybe that's ska in New Jersey, but like, well, I mean, yeah. I love ska. No, but yeah, Jersey had like, uh, probably one of the best ska scenes in the country. Too. Yeah. But still, regardless, I think that's, it wasn't only, like, there were other scenes too. Cause like I was playing like in a kind of hardcore -ish band back then too and those shows were like did really well too there was just like a more involved like local scene yeah it wasn't was somebody telling me lifetime is from westfield or like there's a member that's from westfield or something maybe yeah and i like, know they played here a lot like they're yeah or from middle. around there yeah. like um and i yeah i just think there's i haven't been back in like five five years my parents moved out when i moved to the city so like yeah uh but yeah, I think like I know that like like a lot of those towns, it has like a homeowners association or something. If they were to like establish a community center, that would just be really positive. Yeah. 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 Eric, what about you? What was like what was it like playing music where you were growing up? I didn't pick up an instrument until I'd moved to um, New Paltz. No, not um, Putnam County when I was oh, okay. um, a teenager. Yeah like a preteen um, because I, you know, had, I was interested in it. I had grown up, my parents were really young when they had me um, in 93, you know, they're 18 and 20. So they were listening to um, a lot of rap and stuff like that. And that's what I grew up around. And um, 
finally like eventually got into Linkin Park and then it just kind of took off from there you know yeah. I started listening to like System of a Down My Chemical Romance Marilyn Manson yeah um but in the Bronx there's especially because I grew up in such an underprivileged neighborhood um there wasn't any music programs or anything like sure. that I think when I was in the seventh grade right before I moved they had a music class that they probably don't even have anymore and they tried teaching me the trumpet for like two seconds but then i moved and met friends who played guitar and they were just like hey man you should play bass and i was like yeah cool nice. <laughs> and then i started getting into a lot of um like punk stuff and i'd kind of come into it too late you know like everybody who lived in um putnam county their like whole lives in like third or fourth grade they get the decision of like choosing their electives so you know at that young age they pick up the violin or oboe or something so i never had like um music education i just kind of picked up the bass and learned a bunch of operation ivy songs yeah. because that was the closest still to this day the closest thing to a scale that i know <laughs> <laughs> i just kind of took off from there you know i started getting into heavier and more complicated music yeah. and instead of just being like sitting around and being like oh man i wish i was better i just practiced and practiced and practiced and then i graduated high school didn't go to college was working a shitty job and was miserable with my life generally <laughs> and um just made it a point to just play music every day it's awesome even if i didn't want to even if i was too depressed to i would just make myself do it yeah and then i picked up guitar in that time and like that year moved to new paltz met max who uh actually got me into new paltz you know we'd partied with each other for uh, like a bunch of times over the months before i moved there we then... needed like a fifth roommate and i think this was like maybe the second time i met eric yeah i was like <laughs> you should be my roommate you're so cool and like, <laughs> and like uh my ex-girlfriend was it. like you're gonna scare him <laughs> no i was down yeah he was so down we were best friends at the time yeah yeah and he was texting and i got me, really like, lucky really cool. you know like awesome. max and all the friends that i moved in with are the most supportive positive people and that's great. His best friend also lived you know, there too. They were also they were um they knew like everybody in the town, were friends with everyone, so I got to know like everybody, you know, if became a home really fast. That's real cool. Yeah. And then you joined Sativa Cult. Yeah, and then I joined this band Sativa Cult and started my own band, Flat Stanley, which is like Math Rock Screamo shit. Um at the time Max Does that was band still playing play? Oswald. No. I mean it's every time I feel like playing a solo set, I will, but I kind of parted ways with the drummer a while ago. It's just hard to do, you know, like, especially when you just kind of drop yourself in the middle of nowhere like that. Like, it's beautiful place to live, way cheaper to live in the city. You know, it's, it's just way easier to manage life out there. Sure. But there's a very strong disconnect from people in general. <laughs> there's not too many of them out there, and majority of them are not into math rock or screamo or anything oh, like sure. that so i kind of just you know kept the friends i've always had yeah. into that <laughs> yeah i wanted to ask like what was the new pulse scene so so ultra deluxe started when you two were up there or did it start after your roommates um, after yeah after so eric is in the band sativa cult that he mentioned and i was in a band called oswald which eric now plays in but didn't so 
we, we were friends obviously when we lived together when i was in college and he was living there we played together, we were both like on the screamo emo side and we played together all the time um both bands broke up uh oswald broke up like instantaneously when we graduated like yeah. i think our last show was like a month after we all graduated yeah and so i immediately started ultra deluxe because i'm like i'm gonna make a band with myself that way nobody can break up with no me. one can <laughs> let me down and so i'm like i'm just gonna make it on my phone and i was doing that for three years sativa cult continued for a while uh sativa cult has a really interesting story if you want to talk about that um yeah uh when i moved to new paltz or they like came up to new paltz just to get drunk on my 21st birthday never been there before but i'd heard about it yeah and i was just like getting fucked up at the bars um and remembered like oh my f- old friend jackson like goes to school up here lives around here but i didn't have his phone number and i was wasted so i was just like introducing myself to strangers and stuff and like everybody was just like super chill down to meet me you know spend a couple minutes talking to me and i'd be like do you have my friend jackson and trying to reconnect with him until eventually by the end of the night it worked and i got his phone number we reconnected and um i came back the next weekend saw the saw sativa cult play and i was just like okay this music's actually pretty decent you know the drummer has a lot of potential just needs to like hit harder the guitar work is like amazing but their bassist isn't doing anything (laughs) So I kind of decided that and there I was gonna replace that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy was. Don't he was bad. a yeah. space case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was more of um, yeah. You know, he grew up in the city and went to a sort of like prestigious creative school for rich Manhattan kids. Oh, okay. And yeah, you know, had a like really good education, but just wanted to do freeform jazz and never wrote a baseline. Just would do freeform jazz over punk stuff yeah. at every show. Yeah, which might not work sometimes. Um, but then like I joined and learned all the old songs, and then I had a song that I was working on a guitar, but didn't have a band. I showed my friend, and he was like, "That is a sick song." I was like, "I, I think it needs more," and he was just like, "No, the parts like it's all there. We just need a band to play it." So. Uh, we wrote, he helped me write that song, you know, he helped me bring it to life and it kind of just like changed the whole pace of the band. Like we started going more into like, it was still like 90s stoner grunge punk shit, but with my like, um, hardcore screamo math rock influence. And then the last album we put out was just like this really weird like post hardcore album that like nobody would have expected it was just from like us. math math the fuck out I'm gonna yeah check it out <laughs> yeah that, that was like yeah Did, so you but still like indie grunge yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we never like lost that but right on it all just sort of like came together because we loved each other so much that's really cool <laughs> how was it playing like how's the scene in new pulse i was i was telling you two before i played at like snugs yeah, um, yeah, which is fun. But like, what kind of venues would you put? Was it like so usually bars? New, New Paltz scene is very cyclical, like any college. Yeah, yeah it's a SUNY, a SUNY school. Yeah, there, it's right? a SUNY school, uh, about six thousand undergrad, I think, or four thousand. But uh, so I was there from 2011 to 2015, and um, I remember, like, I had been going to shows in Westfield, loving like DIY stuff. And, but like, I was like, maybe it was October of my freshman year, and I had this adjunct professor who like. It was like Tuesday night was like the one like weekday that was a weekend. And so he was like, um, I have this band. If anybody's heard of Nightmares for a week, he like filled in on drums for them. They're the school like emo band. And uh, he's like, 
he's just like sort of said to the class like hey i'm playing a show like in town uh he didn't like describe the van at all but he was like y'all should come and so like a bunch of the class came in it was just like you know emo shit and punk shit and i've been listening to ska for a while but then i got into like noise punk and really hit it hard with bands like snowing and merchant ships and yes. just like seeing my professor in an emo band like yeah. when i was 18 um <laughs> that was fucking sick and so those four years there's a lot of house shows uh it's a lot smaller scene than new brunswick but similar uh like house shows especially our senior year my senior year and junior year like 150 100 kids packed out That's awesome. like, mm-hmm. uh and like there were about three houses so it's a lot smaller and then um i had this one spot that's a whole story i don't know how much time we have you we keep going yeah basically uh i had this spot called the hobbit hole it was way too small to be having shows and there was like maybe the if there was like a, it was a venue the capacity was like um 40 and i would have like 70 yeah. and so i had this one show that i had to call the cops on my own house because these kids started uh crowd killing in my tiny ass apartment yeah and this one kid like they broke a bottle and then the kid ripped their hand open and was like bleeding out and like we had to call an ambulance so i like stopped doing that and i started moving to uh more like started booking a pizza place and that we got a lot of people and like um it was the it was the only the only place in New Paltz that had ceilings big enough where you could crowd surf. Cool. So there's like a picture of Torres on the internet just like crowd. Yeah, surfing. this is a video of just me yeah. like playing bass and getting thrown the fuck around. Yeah. <laughs> it was really fun. But uh, <laughs> and then I'll let Torres talk because after I graduated in 2015, I moved to Jersey to live with my parents uh, for until I got a job. And I moved to the city and Torres kind of ran shit at like this yeah. really sick spot. Yeah. After yeah. they graduated, the scene kind of died out. So he was like, yeah, there was like an something. ebb and flow. You know, I was in New Paltz for another couple of years and um, we lived in this big house. It was like split up in two, five bedrooms on either side. But the other people, the people on the other side were like really good friends of ours. And, you know, the basement door between the two houses is always kept open. We just go to and fro, hang out with each other, whatever. And then we started throwing shows on the other side of the basement. And it started out as acoustic stuff. I wasn't too involved at that point. I wasn't too interested in booking. Um, but there was a lot of like really cool acoustic shit. And then we started doing the like full band stuff. And I booked a couple shows. Yeah, we were all booking shows. Like all fucking 10 Yeah, 10 people. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so though. It's good we all had spot. a hand in it. Yeah, it's interesting how like like when you moved, it kind of fell off, and then you took it over. Yeah, so this was the house that we lived in together, but yeah. we had this roommate, and we had shitty neighbors that like weren't down with shows. But as I moved out, so did those people, and so like it just yeah. yeah. And then um, after that, we moved into another house. Uh, me and one other guy from the initial house. Our friend Joe, like the yeah. unofficial merch person of this yeah, band. Yeah, every band. That of every band. My mother must have ever been in yeah. since we've known this kid. We love him to death. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, because he like doesn't um, play an instrument, he's never been in a band, but he loves the whole fucking thing. Very you supportive know? friend. Yeah, yeah so he yeah. like started booking. He wanted to like have a hand in booking more. So it's kind of the two of us running it. Um, you know, I was playing shows, so for the first year, I kind of took a step back and let him take the reins, you know, but then he moved out of the house, um, and then I took the reins back, and, um, the one thing, like, you know, I've done full U.S. 
I've done a full U.S. tour and I've been touring a lot for the past like four or five years now, and there is like a huge problem with representation at these shows. So you know, like I loved heavy shit. I loved booking it. I was like the only one booking it yeah. at the time too, because the whole scene had kind of just moved towards indie stuff and jam bands, you know, we're two exits away from Woodstock. Yeah, there. when I was in New Pulse, there was like a hippie vibe. Kind yeah, of it's very, yeah, yeah. people love yeah. just smoking weed, taking yeah. some mushrooms and just jamming out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like either jam bands or like bedroom pop bands. Yeah. yeah. It's like one or the that other. Was, but, um, so I was just booking what I wanted to represent, but also I would, I would, book like very mixed bills you know because um like if you hit me up and you know you're the fucking woman or black or brown or not straight then even if i absolutely detest your music i'm going to book you because it's important yeah for that person to like be represented you know we had a really big audience at that house um because we'd done it for two years and the shows would get like pretty crazy you know like 70 kids at the most and then like the big week was like halloween and shit like that we'd have to start turning people away yeah yeah there'd be too many people before like, you know it's just like it's just like the look the cops too. are going to come we can't have more people here yeah um i think it's cool that you did that though <laughs> that it came up on the, the uh, podcast day last week with this band called steve mm-hmm. but they're yeah, they're like very them. similar like yeah they're they're awesome but they're like um, Kyle was saying like yeah honestly like if we get an offer to show and it's all like white dudes we're probably not gonna play yeah like, <laughs> it's important that we mm-hmm. play shows that aren't all white dudes and like no it shouldn't be forced but like you know people should be included yeah yeah I mean it's so it's fucking impossible to not have a band that's all straight white dudes on a show you know yeah it'd I, be like two of the four or five bands on the show almost every time but sure yeah I think yeah, it's a, just yeah you just gotta try a little bit. I think also like the other side of it is is that he's Puerto Rican and especially in New Paltz and upstate New York, there's like no other Puerto Ricans yeah. in the scene. There's like and it felt- maybe one or two. So it's like it's very important for him especially to be pushing for those people to be a part of the scene, to be like, Hey, you can play this house. Like yeah. it's possible. Like you don't have to not play music. You can. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna book you you know like please come (laughs) i think it's um it's important for people like to run spaces so like i am uh white i'm uh non-binary but i totally am male passing like i've that you know so like i think the fact that like people that run spaces if like i would book a lot of shows as i said like this is a safer space like if you have a problem talk to us but like my presence as like a white male looking person like not everyone is going to want to like confide in me something that's going on and mom's yeah. like was like the only house at the time that wasn't just yeah. all white dudes. we weren't yeah. just yeah. doing shows either um one of my roommates um was the president of the burlesque troupe on campus so every couple of months or for like the ho- uh, holidays like halloween or whatever um i just like take a weekend off to just let her do her thing and um you know, we have those burlesque shows, you know, half naked women everywhere dancing or whatever, but like they felt safe yeah. doing it there. Yeah. And I remember like there was a couple times where a band would be walking around and they would just like, I would, you know, be working the door. They'd be walking past and just stop and look around and be like, whoa, 
there's like almost entirely women here like that's weird <laughs> yeah that's beautiful yeah. and you know like i would um we were watching a group of younger kids go by and talking about how moms the name of the, that was the name of the venue yeah. was um the only space that they actually felt safe in or, you know, like watching um, the like younger queer kids like admiring the fuck out of, you know, other watching other queer people play. Yeah. You know, Jimmy like Halloween watching it mean something like, to them. Yeah. A good band, like, it felt that was so good. College age that played that house a lot. Yeah. yeah. Teen, they're teenagers a lot younger than us and they played moms a bunch. Oh, and, that's yeah. it. Oh, so yeah. it's like you see like if you're like, I don't know. I when I was in New Paul's like. I'm queer, but like I didn't see a lot of queer bands. Like I mostly listened to like emo bands. Like and yeah. so the fact that I could go to a house show and see kids like my age being like I'm gay as fuck. Like what the fuck is up, New Paul? <laughs> I didn't like that. Wasn't part of my college experience. It definitely wasn't part of my you know experience growing up in Jersey shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, it's important for those people who do feel marginalized to also feel represented when they're mm. at a show. Yeah, yeah. And it makes a difference. So. Yeah, I grew up in around Danbury, Connecticut. Yeah. And um, that scene was very hardcore and it was like almost completely white men. And they would make me feel like I had to get hit and I had to like be a part of the boys crew and I had to like act like a boy in order to hang out in the hardcore yeah, scene. Grimy. And yeah. it was like really refreshing to come to New Paltz. Even before he was running spaces, there was the altar. It was really fun to come to New Paltz and see women play and see women in the crowd and like see people at the door running the space protecting those women and like if they if somebody was crowd killing or something that person was gonna go yeah like they if yeah. they hit a woman that person we were at another show at another house where a guy did hit a girl oh my God. and they threw him out Yo, they threw yeah. him out in like uh, two seconds good. it was not just so that. fast <laughs> you know like you could feel spit you could feel safe in the space and that kid you used to run could, a space which is really yeah. yeah yeah that yeah. kid like ran a house show when i was a yeah. senior and, and so it's like people like that shouldn't be running that's no. so why would like, yeah yeah so it was like it was really refreshing to have that kind of a space though like especially cool. as a woman like yeah. going to a show and not having to get hit by somebody was really nice yeah and i could still see hardcore bands if i wanted to yeah and you didn't have to worry about it like, yeah because you know even if you go to a show and you see moshing like even if you're far away you always have to like kind of be on your edge a little bit yeah. and i'm all for moshing but yeah. i never saw the point in crowd killing ever never <laughs> me even yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah max i wanted to ask because like i know it's like lyrically like there is a theme like a sci-fi theme but how does like you being queer or non-binary like reflect in the lyrics yeah so um there is a character like the the cover of our album is like this pink-haired person that's Adrian Park. Uh, they're non-binary, pink hair, I have red hair, obvious connection there. Um, you know, so um, there's a lot of, let me think. Yeah, so like, because I take on the persona, I'm doing most of the lyrical duties, so like, because I take on the persona of many different genders throughout the story, like Nora is another character that you don't see an image of, but like, so uh, I just like, that's me like being different people in different genders. Uh, like I have this lyric, it's just like, the song Nora and Root, that's her backstory, starts with like when I was a girl. And so like, you know, that contributes to like my dysphoria. Like I never felt like I fucking hate sports and I hate boy stuff and like dresses are cool. And like, I don't know. So like the fact that I can be any of these characters, there's another character, Rory, in the new album who's like super masculine. And like, 
so I have a beard. I'm very large. I'm a larger person. Like even though I'm non-binary, I feel very masculine sometimes. I think it's important to know that like non-binary people do not have to be androgynous. And so like I'm also that person, but I'm also this other character, Eula, who is like a very small woman. And like so, me being those different characters, like who I feel like inside. That's neat. Yeah, it's cool how you, you channel that into like the lyrics to like tell a story too. Thank you. Yeah, that's a cool take on it. Um, ha- have y'all played with Kissies, Luke Hendricks? We did, yeah, we did a weekend there with yeah, them. It was really them. fun. Yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> great <people>. cool. <laughs> I, I saw them actually with Cali Cousins. Luke booked oh, it in Asbury. Uh, nice. yeah. Oh, that was their record release. Show. I was like, I live in the city. I'm like, I should take an NJ Transit train down to see the show. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. yeah, they're gonna play more. They're gonna play yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On five ten at. Yeah. Grand Exchange in New Brunswick. Oh, Kisses, sick. Yeah. I feel like Kissy's, Kissy's on the five Ultra Logs are like best friend bands, We love, basically. yeah, <laughs> like, they're so yeah. great. Just vibe, vibe alone. Yeah, besides like them it. being like cool people. It's too. like slowcore, but also scrams. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's they were awesome. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, l- let's wrap the pot up. Is there anything else you guys want to get in? Y'all want to get in? Mm-hmm. Drink water. Oh, we covered so much. We covered all the shit we really like talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's great talking to all of y'all yeah, about the scene us. and, like, music. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the new stuff because I, I feel like it's going to have, you know, it's going to be dense, like, story-wise. Oh, like, thank you. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot to, to catch on in it, and I think that's cool because it's kind of, like, kind of keeps giving the more you listen to it. Like, if you're, like, into, like, you know, like, back in the day when you, like, open lyric booklets. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. That's, like, my, but my thing is I just want to, like, give a lyric booklet that has, like, a picture of what the song's about. I mean, it's cool that I give people interpretation, but like, I'm yeah. weird and I want to show some weird shit. So. Yeah. No, totally. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for yeah, coming. Yeah. Thanks on. for having us. Yeah. Bye bye.